0: Ken Barlow and this is my Latix short. I'm aware that many folk listening to this were not even born when the incidents I recount occurred. But high drama, son-father dynamics, injuries, blizzards, controversial refereeing decisions, i.e. a disallowed last minute Latix goal, all transcend the generations. So I hope you'll keep on listening. It was a while ago November 1966. England had won the World Cup during the previous summer. Yep, that's how long ago it was. And yours truly had turned 13 years old just the week before this story took place. In a nice piece of synchronicity for the more recent generation of Latics fans, the Monkeys would be topping the pop charts with I'm a Believer in just a few weeks' time. Meanwhile, Latics had recently had their grand floodlights officially opened at Springfield Park by a Manchester City team packed with stars in front of 10,110 fans and lost gallantly (coughs) 4-0. Latics in the Cheshire League at the time and incredibly played a staggering 86 games that season. I'll repeat that, 86 games. A certain Harry Lyon and his strike partner Bert Llewellyn scored 55 league goals in just 42 league games between them. This team was a joy to watch, especially for a youngster of my age, spellbound by the all-consuming experience of supporting your local team. Springfield Park, home and away games, heroes on the pitch, fights off it, collecting programmes, rattles, bobcaps, school. School was Gidlow boys. And a home full of utterly disinterested family members. Yes, utterly disinterested. Can you believe that? I had a younger brother who was later in life to become a staunch Latex fan, but not at the time. Two other very young kid brothers, an elder sister and a mum and dad who simply could not fathom my obsession with all things Lattics. I hid my disgruntlement by viewing this ignorance as being their loss and my gain. This was my obsession, All mine I tell you, (laughs) ha ha ha, I would cackle as I hid under my bedclothes with a torch, reading Charlie Buchan's Football Monthly, Topical Times, and anything I can find relating to latics. Regarding football, my family ignored me, and I ignored them, until one day when very briefly all this changed. On Saturday, November 26th 1966, Lattics earned a worthy draw away at Tranmere Rovers in the FA Cup first round. Harry Lyon scored, and we threw tonnes of blue ticker tape strips. This was paper borrowed <coughs> from Gidlow Boys' Art Department. We saw it at the time as some kind of street art, and we threw it into the Merseyside air. We also managed to skillfully evade the Prenton Park Bother Boys. I think perhaps they wanted us to clear up the mess we'd made but this result meant a replay at Springfield Park just two days later. So swiftly was the replay arranged that there was no time for a programme to be printed. Now I don't know if it was Latics' game against Manchester City to open the new floodlights a few weeks previously, or just the groundswell of interest in Latics at the time, but my dad suddenly announced that he might just come to the Tranmere replay. He hailed from Salford, and as a young lad occasionally watched Manchester City, but he wasn't really a football fan, just as well with a wife and five kids to fill his time. I was both excited and fearful at the same time. Great, my dad had seen the light. Hallelujah. He was on the verge of being converted. But did I really want this? He'd see the scallies I was mixing with, the bad language we all used and the antics we got up to. He'd see the games didn't finish at the time I said they did, to cover my lateness, getting home. And worst of all, he would undoubtedly be scornful of the standards of football of my beloved team, their rather shabby ground, and our small crowds. It looks as if I might be spared such concerns when after tea on the Monday concerned, Dad looked out of the window, studied the BBC weather forecast. He tutted pessimistically and announced, Looks like bad snow to me. Of course, by this time I was getting excited. Anorak, bobcap, scarf, more paper cuttings, all ready to go, and I was off. The new floodlights glowing in the distance were like a beacon luring me to my spiritual home. We lived in Whitley, Romney Way to be precise, and at that time the railway bridge across to Beech Hill hadn't been completed. For a short while we were still safe. I I assured my dad that it was uh, quicker to cut across the railway line just south of where the bridge is now. This involved a scramble through undergrowth, skirt Ryland's Lodge and cut through onto Buckley Street. No problem for a young lad, but for my dad, well, it turned out not to be quite so simple. Meanwhile, off to the match itself. The pitch was heavy, muddy and slow, but the game was exciting Trammey had a penalty award. It were never a pen. Big Alan Halsall saved it. Phew! But Trammey did score, through Williams, dead lucky too. Well, we all thought so at the time. The snow started to come down like it really meant it. But the players continued to serve up a treat. A large and noisy crowd was on, some 14,304 recorded, but there seemed an awful lot more. And I remember thinking my dad must be impressed by all this now we would understand now we would surely get it time began to run out for latics and as the snow turned into a real blizzard it looked like it was to be another glorious failure my friends and i headed for the exit but then but then with only seconds remaining we won a corner at the town end the cross was cleared easily to the edge of the box where captain Alfie Craig caught it beautifully on the volley and returned it with interest. His shot evaded the melee of players in the penalty area and smacked into the Tranmere goal, causing the build-up of snow to spray clear in a flurry as the net shuddered. Imagine the Eric Cantona goal that won the FA Cup for Man United at Wembley in ninety six, but substitute it for Alfie Craig on a bleak, wintry night in Wigan 30 years previously. This strike led to sheer joy unbounded, even if it meant extra time and a blizzard. We were soaked to the skin anyway, with many spectators having already left, but those of us remaining were ecstatic. Us uns danced and jumped around like the silly jits we truly were. We no longer felt the cold. It was akin to that feeling when we actually won the FA Cup some 47 years later. But very slowly a grim realisation set in. The players were surrounding the referee. The fans were in uproar. Something was definitely up. The game was clearly stopped. Had the ref abandoned the extra before the extra time? Had even started? Surely the teams were just going off the pitch to get warm and change kit before returning to kick off for the extra time period but, but why the consternation of the players? Why all the spectators in the Phoenix stand leaving? What the f- Is going on here? Incredibly, it turned out that the referee had blown for full time as the ball was in the air from the corner. I kid you not, the ball was in the air when he blew the whistle. We were furious, robbed again by Football League favouritism. The same elitist old school mentality that was keeping out of the Football League was in action, so we thought. However, A further conspiracy theory was to emerge when it was suggested that due to the snowstorm and potential train cancellations, the referee who hailed from Sheffield would have missed the last train home across the Pennines had he played extra time. This, of course, is an unfounded allegation with which this writer holds no credence today. But at the time, oh yes, it was the only possible explanation. Full-time, blowing full-time, the balls in the air. What a load of crap. 13 old boys need little reason to feel victimised and persecuted. The onset of a hormone-related opposition to life ensured that this situation merely served to reinforce our growing belief that life was against us. Deflated, cold and annoyed, there was nothing for it but to trudge our way home through the snow with little to say to each other except to reaffirm our respective sense of injustice. I didn't realise it at the time, but my bad night had only just begun. (coughs) I bounced into our house, desperate to share the news with my dad and to ascertain whether he'd actually gone to the game, and if so, what he thought about Lattics, the ground, the sizeable crowd, and, of course, the disputed last-minute goal. But I was greeted with a mother in a sombre mood and an angry father. "'Kenneth, get in here now!' "'Oh!' Her sister, barely able to contain her glee at the trouble, I was very clearly facing. "'But why? What could I possibly have done this time?' Good vibrations by the Beach Boys was high in the charts, but I sensed quite the opposite. Even with the blinkered eye of a typical thirteen-year-old, I couldn't help but notice. But Dad had his right ankle in a baby bath of warm water and a soggy packet of frozen bird's eye peas lay at his side. As he sat up in his chair to address me, he winced in pain. So did I, in anticipation. "'Just what the hell do you think you were playing at, eh?' "'Thought you were being clever, did you?' he demanded of me. I was baffled, but Dad continued. "'In my time, our Kenneth,' I was trained to fight the Nazis, I chased Rommel up and down North Africa, I completed route marches and survival exercises, but I have never, ever, come across an assault course the likes of which you sent me on tonight, with your so-called short cuts. His voice and blood pressure rose in equal measure as the words poured out in a spittle-laden torrent just inches from my face. He was not a happy daddy. But with some help from my mum, the picture gradually emerged. Dad had indeed gone to the game, having crossed the railway line over Whitley, crossing past the Tupperware factory, where he met his mate Danny, Danny Mullinex, on the corner of Dawson Avenue, and then on down to Springfield Park, no problem. Dad had left the game early, and with the snow getting worse, decided he would take my advice, and use the shortcut I'd suggested. He'd taken my cycle lamp as a precaution but the battery ran out. It was perhaps an omen he should have heeded. He made good time in the snow and slush until he turned off Buckley Street. It was at this point that things began to unravel and the night turned into even more unpleasant experience for him. Dad admitted that he thought a lodge was a house and therefore was ill-prepared for Ryland's lodge morphing itself into a pond as it emerged from the darkness. He stumbled down the bankside and into one of my favourite fishing spots up to his knees. In hindsight, it could have been much worse, I suppose. This was followed by slithering down a snowdrift and badly twisting his ankle as he tried to clamber up the railway embankment. In agony, Dad came within inches of being trapped in the face of an oncoming express train as the points changed whilst he crossed the line. Finally, limping badly and quite shaken up, he was almost garrotted as he blundered into the wire of the fencing that ran along the side of the railway. Somehow, all this was my fault. I'd made the same journey dozens of times with no similar problems. Perhaps being 30 odd years younger had something to do with it, I pondered. The doctor diagnosed torn ankle ligaments. Dad's ankle was strapped up and he was given painkillers that made his mood even worse. The facial scabs gradually dried up and he was off work for a limping week. I avoided him for a week too. The walking cane he'd been provided with was just a bit too handy. On the plus side, however, a few weeks later Santa brought me a set of dynamo cycle lights. No batteries required. Latix went on to win five trophies that season, finishing runners up in the Cheshire League. My dad never did take up urban walking as a pastime or fishing or even train spotting and he never ever returned to Springfield Park. Thank you all, hope you enjoyed it.